Adding a touch of class just for one week, welcome to Hand of Pod. Welcome ladies and gents, and apologies to those who got slightly scared by my introduction last week. I got at least one tweet telling me off for claiming that last week was going to be the last ever episode, uh, but it was nice to know I fooled at least one of you anyway. Um, this is the 200th episode of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly, and I'm currently struggling to get the, there we are, top off this bottle of champagne. Probably going to be a big mistake to open this so close to my computer if it fizzes up too much, isn't it? Lovely stuff. I'm joined this week as I get ready to pour it by Peter Coates. Hello, and an honour to be here on such an occasion. And Andreas Bruckner. Hello, congratulations. Uh, and that is the champagne fizzing, which you can probably hear, just to prove that it really is fizzy. Um, we have quite a week of Primera action to look back on, but before we begin, we should mention our sponsors. We've not paid for this champagne, but they have paid for the fernet that we will be having afterwards because there's no better idea when trying to record a sober football podcast uh, than mixing champagne with fernet, I've decided. Um, the Argentina Independent, who are a wonderful source of English language news, current affairs, uh, journalism, photo essays, historical pieces and whatnot, and you can read them free of charge on argentinaindependent.com and follow them on Twitter at argentinaindy. They have not sponsored us for the whole 200 episodes. Uh, but they have sponsored us since episode 171, I think, was the first episode of this year. So we thank them very much indeed. Do you want a little bit more? It's, that was quite a lot of fizz on all of it, wasn't it? So yeah, please, because it's... If either of you want orange juice as well, then feel free to top it up from that carton there if you want. Yes, I'm quite thirsty, and yes, so thank you. A nice extra dry champagne is not going to help that probably very much, but um, Without further ado... Oh my fuck, that doesn't fall over. Um, without further ado, allow me to walk you through the scores from last weekend. But before I do, otherwise we'll get a bit mixed up, we should mention that we are recording during the Copa Sudamericana last 16 first leg uh, of River Plate versus Liga de Quito. It's the beginning, of course, of, of River Sudamericana defence. We're also recording during... Ah, oh, hello, it's kicked off now. During Rosario Central versus Estudiantes de la Plata um, in the Copa Argentina quarterfinals. Um, both of the last of the two remaining Copa Argentina quarterfinals are being played tonight. Uh, this one has just kicked off because uh, Ms. Ms. Kirchner had something to tell the country and uh, therefore the kickoff got delayed. Um, River versus Liga de Quito is just over half an hour in. Later tonight, after we record, Boca will play Defensa Justicia in the remaining Copa Argentina quarterfinal. Independiente play Peter? Olympia. Olympia. Olympia and Huracan play Sport Recife. Ah, Sport Recife, yeah, Brazil in the Sudamericana last 16. Um, all of those first legs. And then on Thursday in the Sudamericana, it's. Um, Lanús. Lanús plays somebody. I can't remember who. 
We'll get that to you later on. For the moment, Central are drawing 0-0 with Estudiantes after two minutes and River are beating Liga de Quito 1-0 after 34 and a half minutes. Uh, the scores from last weekend in the league are as follows. Sarmiento, 2, Defensa y Justicia, 1, Aldo Civi, 0, Huracán, 0, Argentinos Juniors, 1, Boca Juniors, 3, Godoy Cruz, 1, Rosario Central, 3, Independiente, 2, Nueva Chicago, 1, Gimnasia Escriba La Plata, 1, Tigre, 1, Newell's Old Boys, 1, San Martín de San Juan, 0, Vélez Sarsfield, 0, Estudiantes de La Plata, 1, Arsenal de Sarandí, 2, Olimpo de Bahía Blanca, 1, Banfield, 2, Crucero del Norte, 1, Unión de Santa Fe, 2, Tempele, 1, River Plate, 1, Lanús, 1, San Lorenzo, 2, Racing Club, 1, Belgrano, 0, Atlético de Rafaela, 0, and Quilmes, 1, Colón de Santa Fe, 0. Right then. As we always start with the Big Five, uh, we should begin, I suppose, with the all-Big Five clash, which was San Lorenzo, the uh, second-placed side in the league, um, and were guaranteed to be second-placed side in the league when they kicked off, or rather, second-placed at best, because of Boca winning the previous day, um, who beat Racing 2-1. These two sides have actually played twice since we last recorded, uh, once in the Copa Argentina, last Thursday, when Racing got a 2-1 win, uh, coming from 1-0 down at half-time and once in the league when uh, San Lorenzo again led 1-0 at half-time and this time uh, they got a win which I think that they deserved really I, I was going to ask a silly question uh, cheers by the way James yes. and first of all cheers to 200 episodes I'm very sorry go on no, I, I was going to ask a silly question a, a, a supporter listener question perhaps but do you know why Boca played on Saturday again because last time was because Carlos Tevez was going to be uh, on the Argentina squad for the friendlies, I think. And now, uh, well, there w there isn't any FIFA days or something. No, it's a good question, isn't it? Because they're playing the Copa Argentina tonight. Ah, that's why. I, I guess. Really. But then River are playing the Sudamericana tonight and they played Sunday. Um, Sunday to Wednesday isn't that much of a. It's a normal, perhaps, uh, time. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not sure why exactly that is. My guess would be that, that it's got to do with the Copa Argentina, but uh, yeah, I suppose Boca had to travel. To travel to Cordoba, yes. Uh, true, yes. Of course, Boca got an away game. That's a very well away and neutral game on the other side of the country. That's a good point. Um, San Lorenzo Racing. There was a much bigger talking point, of course, in the Boca game itself. But we will yes. get onto it in a minute. Um, San Lorenzo Racing. Mar Cheto or Seto scored with a header after 20 minutes. Ivan Pichud scored a very good equaliser. There were a number of very, very good goals this weekend, actually, um, for Racing in the 77th minute. And Racing managed to hold on to it for about a minute before Emmanuel Mass, the Argentine uh, international. That's not going to get ordinary to say, is it? Um, not anymore, I think, because hasn't been called that for... Oh, you're right. Yeah, we've got the squad to talk about as well later. Um, thank you for reminding us. Um, but got got the winner a minute later. So Racing uh, could have helped their focus slightly better and probably out of the title race now, you would think. But San Lorenzo, not a bad run they're on. I think the only game they've lost of the last 13 is the derby against Huracan a couple of weeks ago. Yes, and uh, a way condition which is, uh, at this point, is obvious that they play... Play in different ways when they are home and then they when they are away. And uh, I, I heard in an interview that was made to Mauricio, one of the scores. It was a match which uh, in which all of the goals were scored by by defenders. 
Pichud Cheto and Nas. And well, he said this. Yes, we we try to wait uh, a bit more when they are, we are home, we are away, and uh, by that uh, we try to, of course, uh, do a, a, a quick counter attack. But he assumed it was like this. Uh, so if the only match they lost was in just 13 matches was away, it's not a surprise. Mm. So when they are home, they play very uh, with high pressure with. Uh, uh, asphyxiating, I don't know how to say, uh, pressure. <laughs> uh, yeah, high, high pressure is... High pressure, yes. I would say that's, that's right. And uh, Anyway, uh, last match against Racing was in danger because uh, Pichu's goal was near the, the end, but then was the saving mass, uh, goal, defining goal. So. Mm. Um, the only black mark, I suppose, of San Lorenzo with Nestor Rodrigoz, they got, I think, his fifth yellow card of the year which means he's suspended this coming weekend but uh, did um, as well uh, when I was watching it Sebastian Blanco seemed to pull up very early on with some sort of hamstring injury and limp off he was substituted I think bugger thank you for telling me that Peter I shall update it for my previews of the weekend I missed that I, completely I think you're right he was subbed off after 36 minutes mm. which um, is yeah uh, thank you for the pointer which could would is as a blow with a team that yeah. do like you know break quite quickly and no absolutely and um, who looked to get forward pace um, so San Lorenzo remains second there two points behind Boca who as we've already mentioned beat Argentinos Juniors 3-1 on Saturday afternoon um, the main headline maker of the match and indeed the weekend was Carlos Tevez for a change um, it wasn't just the Argentine press obsessing over Carlos Tevez I think it was actually a merited um, in not always in good ways he scored two goals one of which was a fantastic strike to open the scoring right on the stroke of half time um, a couple of minutes after Akadinos had had a goal disallowed for offside which some people got quite angry about on Twitter but I actually thought on the replay I thought it was just sort of a hair's breadth off um, Tevez scored a fantastic goal to, to open the scoring scored again fairly shortly after half time um, and then Akadinos clawed one back very quickly indeed through Ezequiel Ham, who is a name we've mentioned before because it's a very amusing name. Um, uh, Ham. Yes, just, just the way you spell Ham. The, the, the Precisely. Yes. Yeah. Um, in English. Yes. Uh, but um, shortly after that, there was a clash between Tevez and Ham. Not a particularly bad-natured one at all. It was just a 50-50 ball, uh, which Tevez left his foot in over the top of, and Ham's shin sort of bent away that it shouldn't have bent. You've probably heard about it if you're a, a regular listener and, and, and try and keep up on Twitter and whatnot as well. Um, but uh, the upshot of it is that he's going to be out for a long time. Carlos Tevez wasn't even... Well, not only was he not shown a red card or a yellow card, the referee didn't even blow for a foul, which seemed... No, no, he, he really made a, like, the, uh, gesture like uh, it was a clash, a, a crash, not a, a foul. So if you think like that, uh, of course you won't call any... any any foul or any card, anything. Um, since then, they've, well, I suppose, not even kissed and made up, really, because there wasn't really much of an argument between mm-hmm. them, but uh, Tevis has gone to visit Ham in the hospital. Ham's family, of, well, Ham's brother was on today saying we know that he's not a, a mala leche. A, a, how would you translate mala leche? You know, to, to injure someone in purpose, in purpose yeah. it's like that. Um, and, and so on. Um, we don't think Tevis is mala leche either, do we? No, but I think this is where 
the, the two things have become a bit crossed over because all I've seen since then is people going out of their way to say how Terrence isn't a bad person. Now, Terrence's morals are not in question here. Mm. The point is, is that a very, very bad challenge when completely unpunished, referee... The referee has since been punished by the AFA for exactly. not having seen it. Which seems to be an indication by AFA, therefore, that he did miss something serious. But have then still sort of said, oh yeah, but we're not going to get involved and do anything. Yes, anything if the referee else. doesn't do anything, we, we, we neither do. Yeah, which they have done in the past. There's been other instances and of them this doing year, that. In, in, in say, on, um, no, but that was, that was one where they said... Um, we 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 didn't do anything. Yeah, precisely. Um, so, yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. There, so they said they used that, that as an happened. example to say, oh well, we didn't do anything there, so we, we treat terrorists like we did everyone else. But there was an example in this season in I don't know the Premier Bay maybe mm. B, B and C both uh, that the uh, players weren't booked or, or or sent off at the during the match, but then the the discipline tribune or how I don't know how to say. The, yeah, the committee, the disciplinary committee. Yeah, did do yeah. anything. Yeah, it was, I think it was one of the players for Doc Sill. Yes. With a slide tackle, got yellow carded for this tackle, ended up breaking the guy's leg. And they went back and gave him a five-match ban, retrospectively. Right. So I think it's a bit strange for the same board then to say, we treat Tevez as, as if we would anyone from any team. We don't look at the shirt. And but the referee is going to rest. Exactly. So they, they know that there's something which was missed, but don't do anything and I think there's a clear distinction here between just what, what is a bad challenge which deserves yeah, I, some I, punishment and yes. being a bad any, person any player goes and try to injure a, a, a workmate because they are workmates on purpose uh, the only player I, I, I think I, I, I watched and I think he, he tried to injure on purpose a, a, a rival was I don't. I, Morrison was the, the the surname of the player that injured Da Silva from Arsenal, a Brazilian one, I think. That everyone was like uh, having like this. Oh my God! Because it was. Oh, that was three or four years ago, uh, wasn't it? In the Sudamericana. No, 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 yeah. Mm. That they, 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 there were photographs showing the way he, his, uh, tobillo, uh, ankle, ankle was was broken, uh, and that was like, like really, yes, on purpose uh, because the player wasn't even uh, asking for or or, or uh, uh, saying well I'm sorry for the for the injury or something no mm. nothing, uh, in this case I think well he was at least. Uh, uh, with the apologies uh, we so want to make it very clear that uh, just repeat again because regular listeners will be aware none of us are Boca fans or even particularly sympathetic to Boca um, that we do not think that Carlos Tevez should be sent to jail or given the death sentence or necessarily even banned for six months or anything like that uh, partly because this has become a tremendously um, sort of party political issue almost in Argentina but not party politics with clubs instead because basically everybody who supports Boca thinks that everybody else is being incredibly unfair by suggesting that Tevez just maybe possibly should have been yellow carded for this foul um, which I don't think is that much of a controversial desire at all but there we go and everybody who doesn't support Boca obviously is calling for Tevez's head 
Um, I, I just think if Tevez had been shown a red card during the game for that challenge, would anyone afterwards have been saying that's a ludicrously harsh decision? Well, this is the thing. You always get the impression that some <laughs> of the Boca Twitter accounts at least might have been. Um, okay, yeah, in yeah, much I mean, the same, you know, I'm not just blaming Boca here. The same happens with any club and whoever. Yeah, of course. But I mean, that's not what you're going to use as the point of reference anyway of when deciding what would be a just punishment like no, no, their own club's not. fans so I just think coming at it as a neutral had Tevez been shown a red card in that match any neutral would have said yeah you know what <laughs> that's fairly justified there's no bad intention nothing about what Tevez is like as a person it was a red card challenge therefore it was missed if the Afro had gone back and said we're going to treat that like a red card therefore you're suspended for but is it, is it, in this country, is, it's enough to criticize uh, Tevez because of the title, not because of the of his Boca, a Boca Juniors player. To for the other side to tell you you are a River supporter and you uh, are from the B and that stuff. Well, and the other way around, if the if the one would have been Piscu, well, Pesculici had another play in which he uh, kicked a, a Lanús player, and mm. fortunately. That uh, situation was not a, uh, ended in injury, uh, but it's like that in this country. It's like uh, the, to get off your T-shirt is very difficult because it's always your opinions or the supporters' opinions are always uh, poisoned by that, by the condition or the, or the team you are supporting for. Yeah, uh, and the other thing with the Tevez uh, controversy. Oh, I thought my girlfriend's phone was switched off, but it turns out it's on there. Uh, the other thing with the Tevez controversy is that much like an, uh, an amusing pig anecdote, it's actually overshadowed arguably a bigger story, which was Reynaldo Lenny sending off on the stroke of half-time for Argentinos at the same match. Um, he got sent off in the tunnel as the players were, were going back into the dressing room at half-time, claiming that, uh, well, sorry, for what, what his, he got sent off for reacting to something that uh, Nicolas Lodeiro said to him and what he claimed Nicolas Lodeiro had said to him um, was a, a racial epithet um, which I mean first of all we're in Argentina so I sort of doubt whether it would actually have been talked about all that much had nothing else happened in the game anyway but there maybe might have been a bit of an acknowledgement that Lodeiro maybe didn't you know like as it is nobody's even saying yeah, Hang on, did Lodeiro say this or did he not because Lenny went completely off the handle yeah, I mean we saw it on the pitch afterwards because he actually came out for the second half as well knowing he'd been sent off so that he could have another go at Lenny's um, it wasn't a reaction that suggested that he was just making it up and that nothing had been said and yet it, it's it's a you know it's, it's been completely brushed under the carpet by, by the Tevez stuff which was actually rather more cut and dry that was a really unfortunate challenge obviously Ezekiel Hammers particularly at his age a, a, a significantly long term injury could hamper his development and it's a great shame um, but it's a bit less of you know there's almost less of a debate to be had about that than about the other thing and yet everybody's ignoring the other thing and just focusing on, on the ham Tevis thing which seems relatively cut and dry um, yes, well, the referees in my opinion are giving is anything but justice mm. because uh, they are not a, a uh, managing the, the matches in terms of justice as we need, as we understand justice, because uh, of course, well, if if Rodrigo, uh, uh, effectively said uh, that uh, insult to to Lenny's boot and Lenny's reacted, of course, you in, in that case you should have sent off both, not only Lenny's, uh, and then of course Tevez when 
injures uh, Ezekiel Hamot. He had been uh, sent off too, well, and, and for the referee wasn't a, a, even a foul. So it's also a question of how you interpret plays and how you decide to uh, some, uh, to, to disciplinary ban or not in order of to, to that. Of, I yeah. mean, uh, what, what do you think of a play like Tevez did? And then what do you do, you do with that play? It's, uh, and, and referees, are th I think they are not uh, in, a, in, a, in a good moment, I think, uh, precisely. No. As a result, there's a, a really significant result for Boca when you think the first 45 minutes was pretty even. Like, mm. Dinos had a lot of good chances themselves. Um, the tennis goal was obviously superb, but then when you, you look at the then subsequent decisions that went for Boca, I mean, everything has has really gone perfectly <laughs> in terms of Tevez avoiding a red card in the match and any further suspension. As you said, Lodero potentially sparking Lenis's red card, but avoiding any kind of uh, backlash. We should just um, clarify, by the way, that we're comment or yeah, I, I, my comment initially about Lodero was to do with the lack of. Uh, press reaction is certainly something that would have caused an enormous fuss if it had happened in England um, but the AFERN disciplinary committee tends to meet on Thursday evenings which means that uh, for all we know they're going to have Lodeiro a six match ban tomorrow uh, we'll see I'd be very surprised <laughs> be very very surprised but it all depends on what's in the ref's report it, and we can't say because we just as I say the whole point of, of, of our discussion was it just hasn't been covered at all so we've got no idea what's going to happen um, when it perhaps might have been at least mentioned if it hadn't been completely overshadowed. Uh, but sorry, Peter, carry on. I just wanted to clarify that for listeners. No, I mean, I mean, they're the main the main points, really. I think that Boca played a whole 45 minutes against 10 men as a result of that. As far as we're aware at the moment, Lodera's not going to face any any punishment for it. Neither is Tevez. They came away with a 3-1 win from a game which was looking quite tricky mm. <laughs> at one point. Um, and, you know... It, looking at them now really in pole position for the, for the time they are although there is a lot of football still to be played and there's an interesting run in which now that there are only five games left of the run in we'll probably have a talk about it a little bit later but let's go through the rest of the big five we've covered San Lorenzo Racing and Boca so far Independiente are a team who frequently get left to fourth or fifth in these big five roundups so far this season but Peter is your back uh, we shall discuss them you must be pretty pleased not just at the weekend when they snatched a win from the jaws of a draw which given the form of their opponents might have felt like a defeat absolutely um, but also with the the record that they've had in the last few weeks I mean first of all what happened on Saturday no I mean Saturday was one of the poorest performances for some time actually um, I mean I think the Sudamericana involvement obviously had a huge say on the on the team that Pellegrino selected but it sh still should have had enough to mm. to see off Chicago. Um, as it was, it, it ended up being a game which was very typical of Independiente season in many ways. It, it, for for ninety minutes, it looked as though it was going to be another one of those games which Independiente managed to only get a draw from. Um, I mean, I think there's like eleven draws or something Independiente have had. Eleven. Yeah. Well, well remembered. I mean. So many. 
Lots um, and lots and lots of 1-1s as well. If 11 draws with 1-2-2, uh, 1-0-0, one, nil, nil, and that means five, uh, nine one ones. Yeah. That's so remarkable. Until uh, Sebastian Rodriguez headed in the winner in the 90th minute, it looked as though it was just another day um, throwing away two points. Um, thankfully, some, some credit to Chicago. I'm starting to feel a little sorry for Chicago and indeed you know, we, we've taken the piss out of Crisero Del Norte quite a lot this year and we're going to again in a few minutes but um, both of them you know, are trying as much as they can realistically be expected to but they just they keep coming up against that brick wall of just not being very good um, but Chicago have put in in the last three matches they've put in two really impressive um, performances against big five sides Independiente which they were met with one momentary lapse of, con- of uh, concentration at a set piece and ended up conceding the 90th minute um, winner when they looked like they were going to get a draw and against River when they put in a fantastic performance and yet everything River hit seemed to go in the net and they ended up losing 4-1 um, in what was actually a fairly even game I think we all agreed at the time um, but Independiente are going great guns They're, how many games is it unbeaten now? 11? 12? Yeah, 12 league games unbeaten yeah and Pellegrino is Yet to lose a game in the in the in right, the, yeah, because he took charge of it at the start of that run, right? Yeah, his well, first game I mean, in charge was against his first game, I guess, was the start when we restarted the season. Oh, right, yes, yeah, so, yes, yeah, so the second game of this 12 match unbeaten run. Um, do they stand a chance of the title? Peter? No, no, I mean, <laughs> they left it too late, and we've already highlighted the problem is there's too many games along the way. Mm. That they've they've ended up drawing, which this on Saturday was almost a, another one, um, and that has been the difference. I mean, all season when I've been on and when I've listened, we talked often about Boca this season haven't played very well in matches, but then have just found a way to to pick up the three points. Yeah. More often than not, what Independiente have had this season is is not quite enough to pick up the three points. Conceded a silly goal. And then ended up drawing a game which they should have won, and that's that's cost them. I mean, cost them a, a serious challenge at the tie, unfortunately. It looks like they are preparing the the, the, the stage for for the groups uh, tournament. The that that's all. That's strange. Uh, two groups of fifteen player uh, teams uh, tournament. Well, if this uh, tournament is strange or it's a monster, well. The, 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 the new the next year uh, first tournament will be a big monster but independent I think it, they will be good uh, and well stu- uh, stood for for, for that uh, tournament because it, of course this shows how poor was bef- before uh, Pellegrino uh, got the, the coach uh, position but uh, uh, for me it's a good a good preparation for yeah and I think it also will obviously be very useful to keep this momentum going if hopefully in Independiente end up in the playoffs for the Libertadores uh, places which yes. you'd, you'd hope would be <laughs> achievable and it shows that the team are growing into Pellegrino's management really I mean since he took charge in the league seven wins and four draws in the prior to him taking over they had Four wins, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven draws and three defeats in the league. Mm. So that's a 
really notable improvement. I mean, okay, they've still got to play River um, this season. But actually, the, the other... Uh, Lanús aren't in great form. That's who they're playing this weekend. Then they've got Cruzeiro del Norte, Albacete and Vélez Sarsfield to finish off with. Could very easily be four wins from those last five games. Um, yeah, I guess the, the thing is is that they, I think they've made it pretty clear that the Sudamericana is the priority now. So mm. depending on how, how that progresses, we'll see... But still, I mean, those, those last three sides are not sides who are doing particularly well, is all I'm saying. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Pellegrino's uh, time in charge at the moment, I suppose it's set up against that. The title challengers, Pellegrino so far has played Racing, um, who they beat 3-0, of course. And, okay, that's maybe about it. And prior to him taking over, they'd already played Boca, uh, Racing the first time and lost Central. Some are in, some are all played in, in, in that early part of the season. So I suppose if you were going to... Even, but even so, yeah. it's an impressive run. Yeah, and I think that there's been a, a definite increase in the level of individuals as well in, in that time. I think um, the Anan Pesharano in, in central defence has, has been a decent signing. Um, and I think the, the full-backs, particularly Tagliafico, has, has looked much better in the second half of the season. Um as he did in the first half. But, I mean, obviously, as well, uh, Pellegrino's been helped enormously by the emergence of uh, Martin Benitez in the second half of the season. And, yeah. And he, under Almiron, uh, I remember myself and my friends, when I went to the ground, saying, you know, he's, he's got a lot of talent, he's quick, but he often seems to make the wrong choice, run into little blind alleyways. Um, and all of a sudden, the second half of the season just. But I, I think there are uh, more than. than well, Martin Benitez, of course, is key, and it has been seen that that uh, he, he has been good. But Jesus Mendes, Ortiz, yeah, yeah. Vera, Vera, who has been. Yeah, I think he was signed right now, or when, when Perino was already there, not with uh, Almiron, right? Yeah, yeah, he was him and Ortiz yes. both came in in the yes. in the window, and they they both helped enormously because I think Ortiz particularly. I mean, I thought Ortiz was fantastic in the classical win, mm. um, but the Independiente have been have been lacking someone to play in that role since um, Torito Rodriguez broke his leg. Well, I, uh, I remember when Rodriguez uh, had his injury, a lot of supporters were were oh come on, what we are going to do now? And, and well, you have there the, the answer with Ortiz. Yeah, and I think I'm not surprised in the first half, of the, s- the second half of the first half of the season, shall we say, after Rodriguez was injured, mm. the midfield at times did look a little shaky. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the, pe- the players they brought in um, and just in, in a raise of the level of some of the others contributed. And they are winning matches like. The other day, not playing very well, yeah. and playing well, so that that is a good sign for 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 the team itself. Uh, when you win matches that you don't play very well, that helps also. Of course, uh, it's not to get a, a, a high confidence because you play not very well and win, and you think you are good, you are well. Uh, that's a mistake. But uh, it's le- it's like a streak in which you win, playing independently or playing well or, or bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then alternating those yes. poor and good performances. Obviously, two weeks ago against Racing, they were very good, although that set off against the fact that Racing were absolutely dreadful. But um, 
it's still impressive. Um, the last of the big five to be mentioned this week in the league round, I feel like River Plate, who currently lead Nivedikito 1-0 at half-time, and who on Sunday drew 1-1 um, at home to Lanús with Rodrigo Mora equalising after a magnificent free kick from Nicolás Aguirre um, on the stroke of half-time. I think 1-1 was the right result. Lanús shaded the first half, River stepped it up and, and were much better in the second half. I don't think there was too much... So I'll give you the way there. Let's, let's push a bit in the first half and the second half was all of the players behind the ball on their side. Uh, I think Aguirre goal will probably was celebrated by Santiago in, in Australia, uh, former Arsenal player. Uh, it was magnificent just at the, at the angle, right at the angle. Uh, and Riverwell is suffering since a lot of time ago and uh, uh, since they won the Copa Libertadores, a, a, a lack of accuracy and, and play that, well, uh, we hope uh, they they try to solve because we are now playing Copa Sudamericana and then uh, the Club World Cup, which now, mm. if, if, if up to now was in the supporters' heads was only the Club World Cup uh, and now not uh, uh, first division tournament, now with the uh, with the sorteo uh, the draw the draw sorry uh, with the draw it would be more like that because uh, it have been decided the the possible rival for River the for Rio de la Plata Rio de la Plata yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> which in case listeners missed it is how Seth Plata decided to uh, introduce the club for some reason no he he just uh, translated it yes River played or Rio de la Plata, both. What I liked about the, the video, and, and yet the previous he draws, so he's, he's never said right. So Boca Juniors, so mouth hovers. <laughs> yes, he's never that said is, that. So that is for NFL para todos. They, they, <laughs> they are all the time translating this, uh, and uh, yes. So so, sorry to interrupt again, Andres, but there is a what I'm assuming is a Boca supporting. Um, Twitter account that's been set up today called Club Atletico Rio de la Plata and uh, with the river badge and the, the biography saying we leave our own country and nobody's heard of us which um, since we're by and large a river supporting podcast I feel for the, in, in the interest of being down the middle and fair to both sides I think we should mention that as being well, Boca supporters, <laughs> Boca supporters that of course uh, boast about this and, and, and smile we, we should say tell them that Rio de la Plata will be playing the Club World Cup, mm. and, well. and yeah, and as Andres says, they will be um, they'll be playing against either Auckland City or the Japanese champions or the um, uh, CAF Africa, champions. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was going to say the OFC champions, but it's Auckland yeah. City. Um, they have avoided America de Mexico, yeah. basically, and obviously Barcelona because the European and South American champions are kept apart at the semis. Um, so. There's no secret, obviously, that, that the, the priorities for River now are the Copa Sudamericana and the Club World Cup, and that they're going to be uh, putting out uh, sort of reserve sides from this point on in the league. I think that that will probably be a little different, or I'd like to think it would have been different if they hadn't had that post-Libertadores slump in concentration and form, and if they'd still been in the title hunt now. Uh, but they, their title race is all but over, effectively. Um, yes, the big I, five. Sorry, Lachardo, La when... Uh, in during the press conference after the match, uh, after the, the draw against Lanús, admitted 
these problems they are having and uh, of course said to solve this we have to pass the ball between uh, between us mm -hmm. uh, river the river players have to pass the ball to another river player it is of course basics now of, of football to pass the ball to a teammate well river is, is something river is not it's not doing pass the ball to another player it's something that in fact I'm quite glad you've mentioned it Andres because at least in the first half sorry I thought the champagne was going to fall over then I mean, just poured everybody a new glass um, at least in the first half of the game that we've just seen uh, River seemed to me to have just rediscovered a bit of that zip I think Gachado's actually said to them just one or two touch football guys and, and, and try and play it through the into the final third a lot more quickly because they seem to be playing with more of that uh, intent than, than they've had in recent weeks but obviously that's based on one half of football, so we'll be back next week and we'll tell you whether it actually has appeared to work or indeed um, a little later on in this episode. The Big Five are not the only five sides, obviously, in the Argentine Primera, and so other notable performances. Um, I mentioned earlier that there were some rather good goals scored this weekend, just gone. Nicolas Aguirre was one of them, Carlos Tevez's first against Argentinos was one of them, um, I feel, however, that we need a, a paragraph apart, um, if you'll forgive me for using the word paragraph when we're a podcast and aren't really talking in paragraphs, for um, Banfield's second goal against Crucero del Norte, which admittedly was scored against Crucero del Norte and therefore arguably shouldn't really count, but um, was magnificent. If you're an English Premier League watcher and you thought that Manchester United's 44-pass move against Southampton was impressive, um, I recommend that you try and look up the full version, uh, not the Football Paratolos video, the official one, because uh, Football Paratolos for some reason only uploaded the last three passes, um, but it's a fantastic team. Or the Bayern Munich, one of the goals from Lewandowski yesterday. Yeah, well, he was just taking the piss, wasn't it? But, um, <laughs> lot of passes also. Yeah, um, but yeah, finished off by Gio Simeone, and a really, really, really nice move. Um, they got a win over Crucero del Norte which looked fairly pedestrian really that was the second goal for Banfield and it was after 22 minutes and then they just sort of saw out the match and Crucero del Norte pulled one back towards the end um, Crucero now have lost 13 out of 13 away <laughs> they have claimed one point in their last nine matches um, and Crucero and Nueva Chicago both losing because Nueva Chicago lost as we've already mentioned 2-1 to Independiente means that the relegation table this year now is remarkably easy to read. Basically, neither both both sorry Crucero and Nueva Chicago have got 14 points um, so far. There are five games left, so they can finish with a maximum of 29 points, which means that if you're a newly promoted team and you can get to 30 points in the rest of the season, then you're guaranteed safety. If you've been up for if you came up halfway through last year, so you were here in the Primera for the Torneo de Transición last year. Um, and all of this year's championship you need 48 points and what that means is that Colón needs 6 more points or Racan need 5 more points Sarmiento need 3 more points Defensa Justicia have 47 so if they draw this weekend they're guaranteed Primera football for another 6 months um, and so on and so forth Tempele and Argentinos Juniors both need a draw Aldo Civi and pretty much everybody above them in the relegation table is complete, are completely safe and Quilmes and Atletico de Rafaela slightly more complicated because they've got more seasons to divide by but basically they're already safe effectively obviously if you're not Crucero del Norte or Nova Chicago you're safe this season 
already because both of those sides are way behind. They're ten points behind Colón. Yeah, it's been the most cut and dry <laughs> relegation yeah. battle of it. For when you've got about. two teams at the bottom who are ten points behind this Colón side, it's a very cut and dry relegation battle. And I'll say for sure we'll keep uh, third division place, uh, even having to to have a, a spaghetti as breakfast the other Sunday because they had to play on at eleven oh, a.m. Eleven. That was because there was a gig in Mar del Plata, yes. right? I didn't know they didn't That's explain this at all. They changed the kickoff time two days before the match, or one day before the match, possibly. Um, and so yeah, Albacete had to play Huracan at eleven in the morning. <laughs> which was far more bizarre than Boca Juniors playing Argentinos at 4.30 on a, on a Saturday afternoon. Um, in, in many ways, it was a truly strange decision. Uh, that was a, a rather dull nil-nil draw, incidentally, which wasn't really worth getting out of bed for, um, which was a shame because being 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning, I was getting out of bed for it. Um, Going back, though, to, um, to Banfield, mm. aside from that wonderful goal, um, should probably make note of the fact that uh, since Almeida left they haven't lost indeed Almeida's <laughs> last match was a 4-1 win over Arsenal obviously uh, and Almeida by the way has since taken charge at uh, Chivas uh, and as I was saying that it's occurred to me that Peter's also a Mexican football expert so in a few minutes Peter we'll ask you for your thoughts on Almeida at Chivas but don't uh, spell them out just yet um, but yes, since Claudio Vivas took over as caretaker manager initially, and he's since confirmed that he's going to be staying as manager until the end of this year, and then he's going to be stepping down. He, the board have already asked him, I think, to stay beyond the end of this year, but he said, no, I'd prefer to work with the kids and um, you get somebody else in to manage the first team. But since um, that last Almeida game, they have had four wins and two draws. They've, they've been in fantastic form overall. Their eight matches were unbeaten because they were unbeaten in, in Almeida's last two as well. Um, and yeah, 1-0 win in the Classic on two weeks ago against Lanús and uh, 1-0 win over Gimnasia, who are decent, if slightly inconsistent side of late, um, underline that they are in fine form. And Giovanni Simeone is in good form as well. Yeah, he obviously, right. we mentioned at the time, signed for River uh, on loan. Or is he, he was sold? No, it's on loan. He was sold. Yes. No, I think he was on loan. He was on loan. Um, when Almeida was still in charge and part of the reason he was that he signed for River was according to him he, he'd chosen Banfield sorry um, was that Matias Almeida was, was the manager who first brought him into the first team squad at River it's and in- therefore he felt like he had more confidence he scored in his first match for them and so when Almeida left I think there might have been one or two people just wondering is, is Simeone going to feel that same confidence he appears to be doing it <laughs> I mean he's, he's scoring and if Casares gets confidence it will be a very interesting uh, Three players attack with uh, uh, Casares, Cuero, and, and Simeone. It's very, very interesting. That's no, a great loan move so far for mm. for River and for Simeone. Yeah, and okay. So now we are going to ask you, Peter. What do you think of Matias Almeida going to uh, Chivas? Well, I think it's been in the in the works for some time. Because I remember when he left Banfield, which was some time ago now, mm. there was rumours about a job offer in Mexico. He <laughs> um, steps down. Uh, immediately after the 4-1 win over Arsenal which was played on the 3rd of August so yeah that's a month and a half nearly two months actually yeah and I remember reading at the time that there was talk about a move to Mexico although Chivas weren't specifically mentioned um, but I mean there's obviously been quite a significant amount of talking seen as Chivas then last weekend mm. travelled to Guadalajara and <laughs> before they'd actually got rid of their 
manager at the time. Yeah, because I got the I, I did a sort of email Q and A about his managerial style with uh, Tom Marshall, who's a, a colleague uh, who is the Mexican football expert on ESPN FC. Um, and I got the impression from reading a couple of his questions, then from one or two on Twitter, that. Uh, Almeida seemed to know that he'd, been, he'd, he'd got the job before Chivas had actually told the previous guy he'd been fired. Yeah, exactly, yeah. De La Torre was still... Because it was all done through OmniLife rather than through... Is it OmniLife who, who are their main sponsors? Or yeah, yeah, exactly, main sponsors yeah, yeah. Rather than through Chivas directors. Yeah. Um, so he was already there having already discussed the job by all accounts and basically more or less said that yeah, we've had a very positive... <laughs> positive meeting meanwhile then I thought I was still in the job and then after he was staying at some hotel the next morning then I thought he was fired and lo and behold a few hours later even GMS released a statement to say okay I made this the new boss but um, I don't think it's been a particularly welcome decision from mm-hmm. GMS supporters from what I've from what Chivas is the, the team in Mexico that only sign Mexican players, right? Exactly, yeah. And that's another interesting thing, I think, because in the past, when we see Argentine man- managers go particularly to Mexico, because it's a relatively economically powerful league, uh, we've seen them take a player or two from the local league yeah. down here who they're familiar with so that they can help them to bet in. And obviously, that's not an option for Almeida this time. No. I think it's a fairly brave decision in those terms. Yeah, well, and, and, and the state that Chivas find themselves in. I mean, he's really going in there they won at the weekend right? they, yeah they won yeah they won at the weekend but um, you know, he's, he's taking over one of the country's biggest clubs in the midst of a relegation battle basically um, which he's he has the pressure experience. before <laughs> yeah no I mean, I mean the pressure I, well, I mean the difference I guess is that Almeida taking over at River where he's already respected as a and also player. when they were already down I mean yeah, it's a different kind down. of pressure it's arguably as big a pressure but it's a very different kind yeah. of pressure they're trying to keep them up I guess um, and already with a huge respect of the River supporters is very different to coming in as a very much as an outsider in Chivas mm. where the um, many of the supporters don't even know who he is um, and those that maybe do are less than impressed by the fact that his managerial career has basically been two promotions with River and Banfield and then when his his top flight experience has basically been fired from River or maybe maybe harshly prematurely but um, and then Danfield where okay they played some pretty stuff but really found it difficult to put together a run of results um, yeah so it'll be it'll, it'll be interesting to see how he gets on in, in Mexico watch this space and we will try at least the next time that Peter's on we'll try and uh, update you I apologise for all the thumping that's happening I just managed to drop my mouse onto the table whilst half picking it up the other thumps that were happening slightly more quietly earlier listeners were uh me fiddling around with the champagne cork which is uh, I'm a fiddly person so I just couldn't keep my hands off it and I keep dropping it on the table I apologise um, other results over the weekend and particularly noteworthy things were blimey were there any really? well actually um, um, to, to oh, seamlessly link that yeah exactly um, managers who are unbeaten since changing Gilmer's Come in, yeah. Linked telepathically there, Peter. There was no uh, sign language going on at all there, but I just alighted on it almost as Peter said it. Since Kilmes changed their manager, um, since Facundo Saba took over in the 18th round of matches, when he took over uh, from Julio Cesar Falcioni, they had a record in their, let's just say the previous five matches, to be kind to Falcioni, um, of lost four and won one and drawn none. And since Saba took over, they haven't lost a match. They have played... 
four, five, six, seven. They've played eight, they have won six, and they've drawn two. And both of the draws, bizarrely, have been against Temperley. Um, so, against teams who aren't Temperley, under Facundo Sala. They played twice. Yes. They were they played, and they that's the classic apparently. And they, they happen to play them about two weeks apart. Um, so, against Temperley, against teams who aren't Temperley, sorry, and under Facundo Sala, uh, Kilmes have a 100% record, which is something that I think is fair to say wasn't entirely expected for anybody who saw how Facundo Sava was sort of edged out of his job in Chile, which I didn't witness, but I was given the impression that it was after doing really quite poorly as a manager in Chile. Um, the new, very much more attacking style seems to have worked for them as well. We often talk about managerial continuity and how it's a nice idea to try and bring through a, a clear idea of how you want to play. And um, Sava... Well, moving from Falcioni to Sabo is, is night and day, really. It's one very defensive manager who likes his teams to be well set up and hit effectively on the counter-attack versus one manager who likes his side to just go forward and, and play. I mean, well, it's a defender's... Falcioni, I believe, was a defender when he was playing, wasn't he? Well, or a defensive midfielder. Yes, it's... A, and Sabo was a centre-forward, obviously, so... But what is incredible in this case is that he... This method or this way of playing was good for Boca... The, at least mm. he, he, he won a tournament and the Copa Argentina but it uh, wasn't good for Kilmes and the boys perhaps yeah. fair to say that Boca had slightly better defenders than <laughs> Kilmes yes. and all boys um, but yeah it's, it's it's all to do with the context I guess isn't it um, because Claudio Biela actually made the point he scored the only goal of the game against Colón at the weekend and he made the point after the game to the television cameras um, he, he said that if you're a centre forward and we're playing the kind of football that Kilmes are playing at the moment, then you can't really lose from, from our point of view. You know, on an individual level, you um, obviously the team can lose, but but uh, as a centre forward, you love it. We're gonna, we know we're going to be getting chances um, and, and scoring. And Tempele are the only team, obviously, to have, to have held them, to, to have kept them from scoring. Uh, they beat Racing 2-1 in Sava's first game in charge. Since then, they've beaten Tigre 1-0, Rosario Central 3-1. So... When's no, it, you know, they're not just beating anybody yeah. Racing Tigre and Central um, and then a 1-0 win over Olimpo a 0-0 with Tempele a 4-2 win away to Atletico de Rafaela who admittedly are crap um, another 0-0 with Tempele and then a 1-0 win at home to again admittedly not too good side Colón but those opening matches give you the, the confidence and have given them the, the drive to, to carry on I would guess and um, they have a bunch of fixtures now which given their current form towards the end of the season you would have to say are winnable um, they visit Defensa Justicia this weekend they're at home to San Martín the following weekend then it's away to Estudiantes at home to Huracán and they finish off away to Nueva Chicago uh, so Kilmes for the title is what we would be saying if Kilmes were actually in with the mathematical hope of the title but they're not so they won't win it um, other that, that you just mentioned the, the fourth team the manager since changing managers have, haven't lost but again <laughs> there's like, they? yeah since, that's a run I completely missed no, well, it's oh, not yeah, that right, yeah of course because they drew they drew at the weekend didn't they yeah. well, and they, they the have also advanced to the Copa Sudamericana finals that's uh, finals yeah. last, last 16 um, after a 1-0 win last week away to at home to Tigre of course they won the first leg 5-2 which was a bit of a weird one particularly given the form that both sides were in at the time um, but yeah you're right I, that's the reason that I didn't get uh, that I've forgotten about Huracanis because since Eduardo Dominguez became manager they have indeed got five games without a, um, without a defeat in the league and plus the two in the Sudamericana 
but in the league their run is uh, four draws <laughs> and one win the win being at home to San Lorenzo of course in the Clásico um, so they can clearly get themselves up for the Clásico but it's going to be interesting I think we're going to find out in the next couple of weeks just whether Oracan can do something more than, than win the derby um, I guess though at the point when he took over they were actually I think just above uh, Chicago in the relegation table weren't they? Yeah. and basically thinking oh yeah, I mean, they, they won. They won two matches in the previous one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. They won two of the previous fourteen games um, and had lost half of those. Yeah. So to now be unbeaten five, even yeah, if yeah. four of those were draws, and also to be in the last sixteen of the and um, I think crucially winning the Classico when San Lorenzo are actually flying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that, that, that's going to serve it's them. Probably worth. Very, very well. And they've got Venice at home this weekend, which is a very winnable fixture, potentially. We will see what Mystic Sam says later. I say that because I can't remember what I actually predicted for that one. Um, since we're mentioning run-ins now, we may as well talk about the top top two, top four. What do we go for, gents? Realistically. Well, maybe three. Because the thing is that Racing, obviously River have got a game in hand as well, but River are now effectively out of it. But Racing have got a game in hand, and they're fifth. If Racing win the game in hand... They'll be three points behind Central, and they will be nine behind Boca. No, okay, so let's go with the top three. Yes, top three, because Central have to play... Yeah, yeah, the fact that Central play Boca makes them involved. And San Lorenzo. Well, they have to play both of them, yeah, yeah. And I think, in fact, they've both still got to play Racing as well, but for the moment, we're going to stick our necks out and say that the league winners will come from either Boca, San Lorenzo, or Racing. So we will start by just running down the positions. The top... 10 at the moment are Boca Juniors 55, San Lorenzo with 53 points, Rosario Central with 49 points, Independiente with 44, Racing have a game in hand or two thirds of a game in hand with 43 and they're winning that game in hand at the moment. That's the game against Godoy Cruz that got called off half an hour in, uh, 25 minutes in um, a few weeks ago. Banfield have 43 as well. River have a game in hand and have 42 points, but are going to be out the title race even if they win that, really. Uh, Estudiantes are on 42 as well. Tigre have 41. And 10th place Belgrano have 40 points. So we're going to look at the top three. That is Boca Juniors, San Lorenzo and Rosario Central and tell you what their run-ins look like. Um, And just as soon as I can find them all here, that's Boca, that's San Lorenzo and Central are... There. Right, so Boca, and this is the reason that the title race is wide open. Boca have lost one of their last six games. Uh, they've won all of the others. San Lorenzo have lost one of their last 12, I think that looks like, and won most of the other ones. And Rosario Central are unbeaten in five games with th- four wins and one draw. So one of these sides are on fantastic form, but they're uh, and as a result there are some very tasty games coming up Boca Juniors running is Banfield at home Crucero del Norte at home well that's three points so Banfield at home themselves uh, Racing away Tigre at home Rosario Central away San Lorenzo's running is this weekend away to Tigre then at home to Rosario Central and then away to Olimpo and then at home to Tempele and then away to Atletico de Rafaela. Slightly kind of running, but the next couple of matches aren't so easy. And Rosario Central have Gimnasia at home, San Lorenzo away, Argentinos at home, 
Banfield away, and then on the final weekend they host Boca. Would we like to try and pick an outright league winner from those three at this stage? Uh, I'd say Boca, still. Okay, Andres. I mean, it's just because they they have the two point cushion as it is, and we actually had this conversation last week as well, and I said that um, I'd always prefer the points on the board. I think we had yeah, this conversation last week. I might have imagined it, um, but I would always prefer to have the points already than to, to have them to play. But at the same time, that kind of run. Yes, especially if, if Tevez hasn't been uh, banned, exactly. uh, that is a handicap that they will they will uh, take advantage of, and I say Boca will be the champions, and Angelisi will will rest in not not, not rest in peace. Will be. <laughs> Will in peace because, uh, of course, it w- otherwise would be similar, not similar, but uh, in terms of not winning titles like Pasarela and River, that not also the, not di- uh, also not only didn't win titles but they also got uh, relegated. Mm. Uh, yes, I think it would be a good goodbye for the, for him. Okay, so you're both going with Boca. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Boca as well. I think it's Having different. just said that points on the board are more vital than points not yet won, you have well, to. Well, I think the thing is, is that San Lorenzo's running is fairly similar. Mm. Um, so it's not like you can say, well, Boca have. Boca played basically the same because it's, it's worth as well. San Lorenzo have played Racing, but San Lorenzo have played Racing this, this weekend, just gone. Boca have still got to play Racing. So basically, uh, Boca's last three matches are the same three opponents that San Lorenzo have just played the first of and now have to play the, the other two in the next two weeks um, if that makes sense I think that makes sense um, and so yeah they're, they're, as we said sort of similar run-ins tricky ones Central have got that chance but ultimately they are six points behind the leaders so although they've still got to play both it's going to be difficult for them to catch six points up to Boca also, particularly given that Boca have got to play Crucero del Norte still Central have picked it up a bit in the last month or so, but there's still a team that you always think there's a draw there waiting to happen, which they can't afford. They need to win every mm. single match, and I think they've drawn so many matches this season, Central, which is basically what's probably going to cost them. Yeah. Um, and I think at some point in those five matches, we'll see it. Again. Perhaps in a short tournament, they should, or not short tournament, in a 19 rounds tournament, that their possibilities will, will be bigger. Because they have a good, very good team, with especially Marco Ruben, then Celito uh, Delgado, uh, who not it's not uh, uh, all of the matches in the starting lineup, but he when he gets in, it's good. Uh, and uh, Donati in the cent- as a centre back, good centre back. Then uh, the left back, I, I forgot his uh, Bishagra. It's another one, another player that came back to, to Rosario to play. The, and, and retire there, uh, so it's a very very hard uh, team. Not I think they won't uh, have the fuel to 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 claim the tournament because there are Boca and San Lorenzo there. Uh, otherwise, they would I think they they would be they should be uh, clear candidates to to win it. Absolutely, um, we are going at this point to pause, and we'll come back after this break after refilling our glasses. Um, with Fernet because we've finished the champagne now and we'll discuss Gerardo Martino's first competitive Argentina squad for the World Cup qualifiers that kick off in 
is it two weeks something like that yeah October yes the, the 8th of October oh last one there's a gap in the yes. in the league schedule isn't it yeah. the 8th but of October will be a take Ecuador and 13 in, uh, in Paraguay excellent we will discuss that squad and we will also answer obviously as ever some of your wonderful listeners questions so don't go away Before we get on to Gerardo Martino's first Argentina squad, which I haven't yet brought up, I probably should have done that if I was being professional. Um, but before we get on to it, we, well, I'll just mention a, a conversation that we were having during the break about what happens if River Plate win, or indeed if any Argentine side win, the Copa Sudamericana this year. Uh, River, by the way, during that break, have just taken a 2-0 lead at home to Liga de Quito in the first leg of the last 16 don't know why I'm repeating that last bit, but just in case you've started listening to this podcast halfway through, um, Rodrigo Mora was the goal scorer. Anyway, as far as we can ascertain, part of the reason that this came up was that uh, it looks like River are not going to finish in the top two. I think it's probably fairly safe to say, in fact, that River aren't going to finish in the top two of the league this season. Um, and Peter was asking what happens with the playoffs at the end of the season. This season, first and second... Um, in the league table at the end of the, the campaign will go straight into the Copa Libertadores and third, fourth, fifth and sixth will play playoffs to get into the Copa Libertadores with seventh down to and I hope you're sitting down here 18th um, playing off to get into the next year's Copa Sudamericana but they, River, are, they are 30 teams you have lots to remind us yes, obviously yes and there are 30 teams in the top flight River, of course, as the Copa Libertadores champions, are automatically in next year's Copa Libertadores. And if an Argentine side uh, wins this year's Copa Sudamericana, they will automatically be in next year's Copa Sudamericana, which is why River are playing tonight, because they won last year's Copa Sudamericana. Um, And so this brings the intriguing prospect of possibly, just possibly, River finishing in one of the positions between third and seventh, Seven and six. Six. Sorry, yeah. And then presumably, after having to drop down this, the playoff places a, a position because River are already in next year's, um, next year's Libertadores. And also, potentially, an Argentine side, whether it's River or Independiente or Huracan or any of the others, winning the Copa Sudamericana this year. In which case, again, presumably, the Sudamericana playoff places will have to be dropped down another position further. And therefore, we could end up with the intriguing possibility that an Argentine side who finished 20th in the top flight will qualify for a Continental Cup next year, um, which will be all kinds of ridiculous. And potentially playing themselves in a Recopa final. Yes, not to mention what happens with the Recopa Sudamericana if River win this year's Copa Sudamericana. Uh, the Recopa Sudamericana being the, the, the Super Cup between the two. We're not sure there because Andres reckons that, that by default... River would be Recopa champions and that would seem to make sense but at the same time the Recopa is essentially something that exists for television um, and therefore you would think they're going to have to try and play one whatever happens maybe they'll just turn one of the Argentine summer friendlies into the Recopa who knows 
Um, but we now are going to bring up Gerardo Martino's Argentina squad, which has just occurred to me, I'll be able to get very easily on the Argentine Football Association website. Um, in the Copa Argentina, by the way, we are six minutes into the second half between Central and Estudiantes, and Estudiantes are leading 1-0 from a goal headed in by Israel Damonte early in the first half, which I forgot to mention when we were recording. Mostly because we're not actually watching that game, of course. Um, where on the AFA website is... The new AFA website. I would have thought... Ah, there we are. Okay, it's way down, considering... Oh, it was yesterday, apparently, they announced it. I thought it was today. I'm losing track of things. Anyway, Gerardo Martino's first competitive squad for the Argentine national team has been announced. These are the 27 players who will take part in the World Cup qualifiers at home to Ecuador on Thursday the 8th of uh, October and away to Paraguay on Tuesday the 13th. They are goalkeepers Sergio Romero, Nahuel Guzman and Agustin Marquesin. Let's go bit of the pitch by bit of the pitch. Do we have any arguments with those three goalkeepers, gents? Nah, they are the three goalkeepers that usually Martino calls up and he will continue like that with no no special mistakes by by any one of those but except by Romero uh, one month ago I think he uh, was criticized by Lineker because he apparently Lineker. wasn't good enough Lineker sorry but yes. but the, that I, was plenty of time ago I wrote a piece on ESPN FC where Manchester United signed Sergio Romero in defence of him um because, and in fact I wrote a piece before last year's World Cup in defence of Sergio Romero and lo and behold he turned out to be arguably the best goalkeeper of last year's World Cup so I felt sort of vindicated there um, but I think that Romero committing howlers all the time because he's not playing first team football regularly kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because people start looking for it more mm. and therefore and, and uh, you know what I mean I for Manchester United um, against Aston Villa, which was David De Gea's first, goal, uh, first game back in goal a couple of weeks ago after what happened with Real Madrid, which obviously from a Manchester United fan's point of view is hilarious and all the rest of it, um, I couldn't help looking at Christian Benteke's overhead kick, spectacular though it was and obviously unstoppable though it was, and thinking De Gea was awfully close to getting a forearm to it and sort of knocking it... I mean, getting something on it. Not necessarily stopping him from scoring, but getting something on it. And if it had been scored against Romero rather than against De Gea, would anybody have been saying, oh, we could have jumped for that a little bit more quickly, or on the rest of it? You know? And I'm not saying that De Gea made a fuck-up. I'm just saying that I think that people are more willing to, to put fuck-ups on, yeah, yeah. on Romero than they are on somebody who's already the best goalkeeper in the Premier League or the best goalkeeper in the world or all the rest of it. Whereas it's much easier to put the kicking in when you've got somebody who's played almost as many games for his country as he has for any of his clubs. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's easier, it's easier for it's easier for a goalkeeper to commit to make a mistake, and and of course, everyone will watch at him if he's at Manchester United and and, and makes that mistakes. I think it's a bit of a shame for Argentina that we that Manchester United kept ahead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I think at one point it looked so certain that Hair was on his way to Madrid that you thought, oh great, you know, Argentina's number one is now going to be Manchester United's number one, one of the and biggest teams in Europe. But more to the point. Far aside from being one of the biggest teams in Europe, he's going to be somebody's number one. No, no, no exactly. But I mean, even <laughs> more so. Rovers, even more so that the, sta- the status of somewhat no Champions yeah. League, challenging 
in theory for the Premier League title and you know what you'd want from a leading nation's goalkeeper mm. it's unfortunate now that Rivera's going to be back to where he was for the last two or three years yeah. basically getting cup matches and if De Gea gets injured oh who played in the League Cup for us today mm. This is an entirely innocent question, by the way, because I don't give a toss about the League Cup and I therefore make a point of not following it. But I'm, I'm aware that we won, but I'm not aware of the starting lineup. So let me just Google that very quickly. Um, who did we play? Can anyone remember who we played? <laughs> See, I'm really not kidding when I say I don't follow it. It's like 3 or 4 now. Hopefully, if we score. Google Manchester United, 3-0 uh, against Ipswich and. The squad was... Oh, bloody hell. Right, bear with us. Anyway, whilst we're doing that... Okay, moving on to the defenders. Um, oh, he did say Marlon Mas. I thought he wasn't. He's there. Sorry. Come again? Sorry? Uh, I thought when you said Marlon Mas, the national team defender, I, I, I said, no, he's not anymore because well, he's there. So, sorry. Here we go. Emmanuel Mas. Ah, right, I see what you mean now, yeah, because you said he wasn't, yeah. Uh, Emmanuel Mas of San Lorenzo, Facundo Roncaglia, um, Ezequiel Garay, Nicolás Otamendi, Marcos Rojo, Milton Casco, Ramiro Funes Mori, Martín de Michelis, and Pablo Sabaleta. The first question I have is, Andres, how were my R's when I was saying all those names? Uh-huh. Was I rolling them successfully? I'm very paranoid about rolling my R's. But how many of those players are right-backs? Exactly. Sabaleta... Obviously, Casco can play both. Rongaglia. But is he a right? Ah, uh, but he's more of a converted centre back, yeah. really, right? I mean, outside. No, I think the squad. The squad really highlights the the, the shortage at right back. There was a bit of an argument. Casco, who is uh, left back, but he's right and could be used as a right back. Could be. Because he is right footed, isn't he? Yes, Casco. Yes. Yeah. So, maybe I think he played. Left back, uh, right back. Sorry, in fact, against Bolivia in the friendly yeah, there. So I, I suspect he's called up as a right back. But all the same, there was an, a Twitter argument involving English Dan and Luis Bessone, I think it was, um, in which English Dan suggested that since I was right-footed, I could be called up if I was eligible for an Argentine passport um, <laughs> in that position, which obviously would would be desperate of Gerardo Martino, and yet you almost get the impression that it could happen um, because there's a shortage. Yeah, for sure. Is there that much of a shortage, or is it just that people can't see? Which player is sitting right there in front of us and is really obvious call-up? Well, exactly. Who is it? <laughs> I think the nearest person to being having played sufficient number of games and being a sort of attacking natural right fullback is Gino Peruzzi, no? Yes. Is Gino Peruzzi playing that well at the moment? Though? Well, it's no. The, it's I mean, the follow-up question. Exactly. It's, the, it's an understandable follow-up question, but it's the only person I can think of you can say is genuinely a right-back. And, and bear in mind, I think Argentina need to develop full-backs who actually are full-backs and yeah. overlap and attack, not converted centre-backs you, who can play out You're going to call up Peruzzi. I would say... No, and then call up Buffarini, who is uh, also converting to right. He was a midfielder, <laughs> but, but he could play as a right back also. Uh, anyway, well, and he frequently does for San Lorenzo. Yes, and and uh, and he has been proved uh, good performances for a long time. If you are going to plan, if you are planning to call up a, a, an Argentinian league player, because perhaps Martino say, well, Casco, because I know him and well, 
he played for River, but I know him. Uh, then uh, who else? Tevez, he played at Boca, but he's a European, perhaps, to, to say something. Mm. Uh, and then this is it. And I won't play. I, I, will, I will call up, uh, apart from them, all from the Euro, from European leagues. Uh, but uh, it's a, it's a, an obvious uh, response that is that when you ask for for a young kid, what position would he like to play for? And yeah, not right back. And in fact, there's there's a quite a, a good clip on YouTube of uh, Sky TV's analysis. I think it's from sometime towards the beginning of last season where they have Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville talking to each other. And they constantly take the piss out of them because I'll say this for the benefit of Andres more than anything. Neville played for Manchester United, Carragher played for Liverpool. And uh, there's a very good clip of Carragher uh, when he's making the point about developing young English players, I think it is, uh, saying nobody wants to be a Gary Neville. <laughs> Which Neville could very easily have turned around and said nobody wants to be a Jamie Carragher either. But, you know, the point is. It's the first it, guy. It's <laughs> arguably the least fashionable position, you know, supposedly, is, is, is right back. Um, of the players who've been picked as out-and-out centre-backs, given that a number of them are sort of centre-backs who've converted to full-back, Ezequiel Garay, Nicolás Otamendi, uh, Ramiro Funes Mori and Martín de Michelis. Are there any glaring omissions there? Arguably Mateo Mosacchio, quizás. Well, yeah, but I, I think he's still coming back still from his injury, yeah. isn't he? I mean, I think it would have been a bit quick to suddenly bring him straight back in. I mean, I'm still I'm still personally against the, the bringing back de Michelis, just because I think it's being so desperate to talk him out of international retirement exactly and, and in, in, I mean the fact that he's available and you name him fair enough but the fact that he actually said I don't want to be available anymore and rather than saying right what young options have we got coming through exactly could, well know, not only that as well but I think if everyone in this for example in the friendlies the guy pulled out with a mm. with an, an injury then, then but, there are players sorry there are names in which you meet you or perhaps uh, Martino thinks they are prohibited because there were uh, the favorite players from Sabela, for example, Campagnaro. I, I think he he used to play as a right back, and I don't think he played brilliantly last year because he has been called up for the, for the World Cup and a disaster this year. That those are players that ah no Sabela called him up and I won't. Similar like that, not a not a technical decision there. Uh, hmm. Is not anyway from the Copa America Otamendi and Garay the obvious first choice central pair? Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, I would no, imagine we're exactly, debating yeah. the identities of the sort of maybe fourth and fifth choice. But in that case, why are we coaxing yeah, a guy out of retirement to play as a, as a? Oh, can you? We really want you to come back out of retirement. Am I playing? Well, no. You're just going to be on the bench, but we just want you there. As you know, I mean, I think at that, at that point you're kind of hindering. The, the path of the younger players and, and it's yeah. worrying if you're then at that point where the manager's saying well I'm, I've got so little faith in some of the younger central defenders that I want Deva Chalis there on the bench so midfielders Eber Banega Matias Kranemiter Javier Mascherano Lucas Biglia Roberto Pereira Javier Pastore Enzo Perez oh that's it that's all the midfielders arguably after the last 15 minutes of the friendly against Mexico a couple of weeks ago is Mascherano being called up as one of the centre-backs? Or is he a midfielder? Is Kranovita going to get the number five straight away? There's no not. way in hell Martino's called up. No, Martino, Martino said yesterday that he's, 
only today that it is a possibility because uh, until much until Canavitter and until he appeared there wasn't another five mm. pure number five and now there is so I, I don't he didn't say yeah we will put um, uh, Mascherano as a center back and, and Granavitter as a center midfielder but he, he didn't say no the he, proof Sorry, yes. Andres, uh, the proof of the pudding is obviously going to be in the actual starting lineups for the two matches. But and, and obviously the other thing is, uh, from Hannah Pod's point of view, is as uh, champions of dropping the man, we have to point out that Fernando Gago's absence is down to him being injured. That's uh, for me. So rather than a huge shitstorm with that squad, because if he was going to name Gago again, I was going to just Oish. lose my mind. <laughs> Uh, we should mention, by the way, that River Plate have now beaten Liga de Quito 2 0. That's a full time score, and so I'm going to turn over to the Copa Argentina game for a couple of minutes, if we can. Where is it? Carry on, though. Um, shall we go to Ford straight away? Uh, well, we're down. Again, are there any glaring omissions in the midfield? Um, no, I mean, straight away, just after injury and whatnot from the last squad, Pastore and Bigley have come back in. And Banega also from injured. Uh, yeah, no, no, yeah, no. The other point I'm going to make is Banega's injured, isn't he? Yes. No, well, no, no he's in the squad. But he is, didn't so he? Wasn't he has come back uh, recently. I thought I read last week or this week that he's picked up an injury and is doubtful. For, like he was named in the squad regardless, but is a okay. doubt for the the games. So it's a 27 man squad isn't it it's pretty big yeah precisely so let's say Vanega doesn't make it who from presumably the local league would we expect to be perhaps called but up do they, do they normally take 27 to these that seems yeah. like a I thought it was 20 for two matches remember so uh, no because the, the reason I, I mention that is because when Vanega was reported as injured I can't remember which mm. um, Sevilla game it was they said that Enzo Pedro was Pedro's was the replacement, and who's in? There, but they're both in the squad. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, Watch this space. If yeah. That goes I think Pedro's recall to the squad is interesting. The forwards for the squad are Nicolas Gaetan, Angel Di Maria, who's back in after uh, being left out of the USA tour at his own request, so that he could uh, uh, settle in in Paris. Um, a little more quickly because he'd only just moved there the previous week um, so Gaetan Di Maria Carlos Tevez Ezequiel Lavezzi Angel Correa Lionel Messi Sergio Aguero no surprises so far I think this is pretty much what we were all expecting and Paulo Dybala who is going to be the big indeed has been the big sort of I won't say headline grabber exactly but tweet grabber um, of the squad because that is undoubtedly the biggest decision, not just the fact that he's included, but also the fact that he appears to be replacing Gonzalo Higuain, whose goals took Argentina into a World Cup semi-final last year. And when I say goals, I mean goal in the singular, because uh, he only scored one of them, of course. Um, any arguments with those? Any regrets? Would you have picked Higuain? Are you no. pleased to see Dybala? No, uh, there, there was a truth there that has been told and Martino denied, which was that he didn't like it, uh, uh, Iguain not going to the uh, United States uh, uh, friendlies because he was with the flu or something like that. Right, so he, what he thought Iguain was making up a, an excuse because he was clearly quite happy for Angel Di Maria to say, I've just moved to Paris, I don't want to yes. go to the States now. 
Yes, yes. You know that was something, an arrangement that apparently that Paris Saint Germain and and the, and, and the Martino or AFA, in which they said, well, okay, play some minutes at Paris Saint Germain and don't come here mm -hmm. because you have to be okay. You have to recover uh, at 100% from your injury. Yeah, and I think Di Maria, as a result, had missed a whole preseason, hadn't he? He didn't report to Manchester United's camp. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I think his point was more valid. But the way was different apparently and he's not the, that uh, uh, goal scoring that he was well uh, it's not the oh come on how come Iguain is not there uh, of course it's, it's surprising Dybala including Dybala then uh, not going not, not including Iguain uh, he could have called up Dybala to play against Bolivia or against uh, uh, the other match I don't remember uh, Mexico. Mexico. Mm. Uh, uh, and now he calls him up that, uh, straight away for the for the for the qualifiers. That is the only thing. And Martino has been doing this. It's mm. not uh, something new for him uh, to call new players or players that haven't been that haven't played any single minutes and call him for an important uh, competition like qualifier. But anyway, I don't think he would play. He would play. In the starting lineup against Ecuador, for example, uh, nor Paraguay, he will be there in the list and wait. I think he'll get some minutes in one of the two matches because yeah. at least then they'll be like, right, we've <laughs> we've definitely we've got we've got him. I mean, Italy have uh, already course, tried yeah, to. Um, yeah, uh, Rosario said try to just equalise. By the way, um, it's Estudiantes, so it's one-one in the Copa Argentina. Yes, but yeah, of course, because they're fighting over him, so that's clearly. Well, yeah, I mean, clearly, it's, it's yeah. possibly why he's been involved. I, I don't think that is why, because I think it's, it's completely on merit. I mean, you don't move to Juventus for 30-plus million euros um, if you're not a, a very, very good player. Uh, I think Correa will be more in the, in the preferences of, or at least yeah, uh, yeah. he has been playing the, the friendlies and that. Uh, and perhaps if you want, and Argentina is winning 2-0 against Ecuador and there are 15 minutes left, there. Yeah, it yeah. I think it's, a st it's still a significant um, move from Martino because Iguain was in the squad for the for the USA and by and pulled out with a fever or whatever it was and said, "Okay, I can't fly." Um, but he's fully fit. Has scored, I think, four goals already in Serie A, so he, he's in good goal scoring form. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's essentially he's been dropped. He's not lacking in fitness. There's no other reason he's been dropped in favour of. A younger player, and um, I think it's not obviously the door's not closed on uh, Iguain, but um, it's a it's a significant step from Martino, I think, for a for a game which isn't but a friendly. This and it's one that I'm guessing Hunter Pods sort of semi-collective, but really ultimately dictatorial editorial policy has to be happy with because we've been saying for some time that uh, a, a call up that's going to shake up the established attacking order has to be a good thing even though nobody's actually doubting that those attackers are pretty decent for the last couple of years in major tournaments they've kind of let Argentina down to an extent particularly uh, Iguain and Aguero and so for one of them to be dropped and for one of the youngsters to come in is, is you know rather than for one of the lesser players to be dropped and one of the youngsters to come in feels like a bit more of a statement perhaps yeah I think um, 
particularly the fact that Martinez still kept in Correa from the squad from the previous squad. So there hasn't been like, oh, I'm going to take a look at another youngster. It's like in addition to um, Kranevita still there as well. Mm. I think if I was being kind to Martinez, I'd say, okay, what he didn't do was just uh, knee jerk after the Copa America, right? Whole <laughs> wholesale changes. Dropped huge amounts, and instead yeah. he's brought in a couple for the first friendly. Dibala now, and you know, I think it potentially in the next six months to a year, we'll we'll probably see the likes of you can Tevez discuss, and yeah. Messi yeah, drop out. You can discuss Dibala now, Dibala later, Dibala later, uh, Icardi now, Icardi later. But you have to make some adjustments because there is a future. Yeah, exactly, yeah. not a. a, a Ten years uh, in ten years time is now the qualifiers. In three years is the World Cup, and, and you have to be there with the players ready to to, to get get action. Yeah, it's a balance, I think, Absolutely. between obviously guaranteeing yourself qualification, but at the same time you need to start getting in those younger players. Carly Scott uh, has yeah. got uh, boots also uh, play scoring, and well, he will be stupid outside of the pitch. Always will be like that because he's that's his. He seasons, that's the way he is. But uh, as long as he scores goals in the in the matches, well, and Martino. Uh, first he said, no, I don't care about his way, his life outside the pitch. Then he said, well, yes, his exposure in the media is not good. But he, if he scores 25 goals, he won't will be obliged to call him up. Uh, yeah, Martino obviously does have something against. Adekadi, like as a, I mean, he's mentioned on numerous in numerous interviews how he doesn't really like aspects <laughs> how he's led his life. Um, and that's something that we on Hand of Pod are completely one hundred percent behind. But uh, arguably, he deserves a chance ahead of Gonzalo Higuain. So. Well, and the other thing I'd point out is, would you say if you out of those players that most in line, I mean, Dybala's got his opportunity now. Out of those previously linked mm. who would be the most natural replacement for Higuain I think it's Luciano Vieto possibly but he's not got the height obviously I mean Icardi if you're talking about a physical I mean there's a number nine to nine occupy the centre-backs it's obviously Icardi being able to play the role personally I would probably go for Vieto first he, he's a little his Let's movement see. slightly better yeah. and his touch is slightly better but Let's see if Vieto is someone who's going to drop a bit deeper, pick the ball out. Yeah, I mean, ultimately the thing is, any one of these players deserves the call-up. Yeah, 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 anyway, and, and, and therefore I think we can agree that Dybala being called up, if you're going to say it's ahead of Higuain, because, uh, you know, it could be that Dybala's been called up ahead of somebody else and that he's just decided to drop Higuain altogether and therefore it's not quite the same thing. Um, but but it's, it's, it's arguably a better thing. We'll move on now to listeners' questions because we've been recording for well over an hour and a half and Rosario Central have just taken the lead with another goal no sorry one goal for Marco Ruben and I'm going to tweet that very quickly which is what the clicking is now so they are definitely out of the tournament fight I think if they win here oh well I don't know because they've only got one game left in the yes. in the Copa Argentina if they win this oh no sorry of course they're in the semis aren't they not the final oh being silly um Listeners' questions then. Here we go. We, uh, first one is not really a question, but Darren Paul uh, tweeted us last week to say that he had an odd dream 
he dreamed that he was spending a working holiday in Buenos Aires and staying in a house with tiny doors and tiny rooms and massive doors that he guested on Hand of Pod. So Darren, hopefully that dream comes true one day. You're welcome on if you ever get out here. Um, Lawrence Hart has sent us a barrage of tweets. He says, well done for reaching episode 200. Uh, yeah, in case we didn't mention it already, we, this is our 200th episode, so thank you, Lawrence. Um, I think you should invite the various dogs and drivers of loud ambulances and motorcycles, all of which have contributed to giving the pod a genuine Buenos Aires sound. Um, we won't be doing that, but we are having a celebration on Friday evening. We're all going for a big steak. There are, I think it's 11 of us, um, the regular and semi-regular Just hand, a of hand of pod team. Yes, indeed, yes. The, the, the starting 11, yes. yeah, you're quite right. The, the ones who aren't able to make it, such as Peter... Um, they're obviously on the self bench, right? Lawrence asks, over the 200 pods, which has been your favourite, funniest, and most surreal moment? God. Uh, gents, neither of you have been on all 200, but do you want to answer? Because I can't possibly think of one. Actually, actually, for funniest, I'll probably go for the occasion on which I said that uh, the Copa Argentina involved a bunch of sites from Bahia Blanca who only had about 200 fans which seemed to lead to the two Dans and Joel falling off their chairs with laughter and I thought I might get some shit for it the next day but I didn't because none of them listened to Handapod <laughs> so it's fine um, the, the, perhaps the Racing that was mentioned I think the Racing Championship episode in which uh, there was Seba uh, English Dan and I think Gillian Rubin also mm-hmm. a lot of Racing supporters of course uh, with Felipe the Seba son having to go with uh, English Dan's girlfriend Yes, he felt like us to part of the recording, even though the listeners didn't yeah. actually get to, to enjoy him, um, yeah. because it was all basically entirely recorded around his <laughs> timetable. Peter? If you want to chip in. There's not really been many highlights. Really, it's mostly just been meeting up in your living room and, uh, and yeah. talking for a bit, hasn't it? Um, Lawrence also asks, do you think I'll... Uh, oh, sorry, did I ever think I would get to 200? No. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, by the time I recorded something like episode... A hundred, I suppose I was um, thinking that, that we needed to get to 200 at some point and it was fairly obvious. Do I think I would get to 400? No. I don't know. That's in almost another five years. I don't even know which country I'll be living in then. <laughs> I mean, if I'm still here, then I'd very much like Hand of Pod to be 400 episodes old. And I apologise, by the way, because he's obviously saying you, but um, if, after, if I leave Argentina and you know any of you want to carry Hand of Pod on, then by all means do. But I suspect I'm the only person who's sad enough and has enough spare time <laughs> to actually bother to edit the fucking thing. Um, he says his favourite moment was the Racing Championship episode, so well done, Andres, for picking that, but I'm biased. Well done to all. He also says, did Carlos Tevez go unpunished for that tackle because he's Carlos Tevez and plays for Boca Juniors? And would a defensive Justicia player, I'm assuming there's an implied for example there, um, received the same leniency. I'm going to go with yes and no. Because I just something about the way that it happened and the fallout since has suggested to me that it actually was a case of the referee seeing that something had gone wrong, but also being of the opinion that actually a foul hadn't been committed. Um, Tevez would have been should have been sent off. Should have been, not not would have been under a different referee, but he, he definitely should have been. Um, but I'm not sure that we can really say that it was because he's Tevez and because he plays for Boca. I th- you know, we see poor decisions made week in, week out in this championship. Um, and we ultimately, I think it's, it, it's down to the standard of refereeing rather than 
the simple fact that the referee is clearly biased towards Boca, which some referees definitely are, in the same way some referees are definitely biased towards River, and some referees are just homers. It, it happens in Argentina, arguably, more than anywhere else because of some of the shit that you have to deal with around playing matches in certain stadiums in this country. Um, but I don't think that it being Tevez and it being Boca necessarily fed too much into it, in my opinion. Gents? I'm not necessarily saying it's fed in, oh, it's, it's Carlos Tevez, so we're not going to punish him. But I think, I would, well, I, would, I think it would have been very interesting to see how the AFL would have reacted. If it had been Ham on Tevez. Exactly. If, if Ham had just broken Tevez's leg and the big star of the Primera was now fa- well, facing at his age a pr- potentially career-ending injury, mm. would they have said, it's football, Ham's not a, nice, Ham's not a bad guy. Um, so he's we, gone to visit him in hospital. He's gone to visit he's him. He's autographed his exactly. cast. And, you know, it's just one of those things. It's a thing, if you played football, you'd understand that it was just a challenge. I don't think they would. But there was a very, very similar play in the same round with different players that ended differently with Lucas Richardson being sent off. He they did the same play or very, very similar, not of course. Lucas Vilches for, uh, for Tigre. Tigre. Yes, uh, against Gimnasia. I don't remember the player that received his, his uh, the, the, the foul, but uh, he was sent off by the referee. Uh, so here there is a problem, which is, of course, this helps to think Tevez uh, is, has been helped because he's Tevez and because uh, he plays for Boca, but... Uh, sorry, just to interrupt. It looks like it, Javier, Man- Javier Mendoza yeah. was subbed a, a minute after Vincenzo's foul, so although I didn't see the game, I'm going to assume it was him who got the injury. Uh, so, uh, but uh, as you said uh, before, there is not a, new, a universal way of thinking for, for the referees, from the referees, which is terrible because... They ha- they may decide something in a play, and uh, and differently in another similar play. Mm. Uh, that is the, the wrong part of this. Yeah. Uh, of course, Tevez is Tevez from Boca. All of this could be possible, but uh, the, 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 I think the bigger problem and the uh, most terrible part is that uh, there is a in- an injured player, but if the referee interprets that it has been a crash and not a foul, uh, they, they he won't send off sent off or, or, or give any foul and, and that's the problem the, yeah. the way you see the place and we surprised perhaps yeah, and the, and the lack of yes so common sense and, and, and uh, perhaps he hasn't played any match real match and hasn't received any fouls mm. I, I talk about the Alvarez who hasn't has been stopped for three matches as, as I think that's, uh, that's the referee said. to yes. Indeed. Uh, Sasha asked a very similar question. How, how come Tevez didn't get sent off? I think we've answered that one just now. Uh, Eden Rashi uh, says, Where would you rank the Primera among the world's football leagues and why? <sighs> Bloody hell. Um, if you accept that, I suppose Europe's got five big top flights at present, which I guess would be England, Spain, Germany, Italy, France. Mexico is the most economically powerful in the Americas. Brazil's just after that. So I guess that there, you've, if, if you go with that, you've got Argentina third in the Americas. Not just economics. I mean, I just mentioned economics, but in other factors as well. In terms of bringing players through and in terms of the history and everything. You've got 
maybe Argentina second or third in the Americas maybe you could stick in one or two I mean it depends on what grounds you're suggesting the ranking I suppose more than anything if it's in terms of quality of play I wouldn't possibly rank it because I watch 15 or well 12 or 13 Argentine Primera matches a week and one or two from some of the other leagues if I'm lucky um, I guess the way I would look at it is River were heads and shoulders maybe is a bit of an exaggeration but the, the best team in the continent not that long ago in the last 12 months I don't think there's too much argument they were yeah. both continental cups um, in, okay they've been sort of distractions in the league yeah. but they're not they don't run away with the Argentinian league they've got, got a really good challenge from Boca yeah. San Lorenzo I guess well this season in general we've seen I think in a way the question it in, in terms of what, of what you're trying to drive at, there's almost a question of how good would the Argentine League be this year if they hadn't decided to expand it to 30 teams and put in all, the, all, all this dross. Well, yeah. Because I, th- I honestly think that um, in the five years, almost five years that we've been recording Hand of Pod, I think that the Argentine League now, at the top of the league, there's a higher standard of football being mm-hmm. played than there was five years ago when we started out. But at the bottom of the league, there's undeniably a much lower standard. But how much of that is to do with the fact that the bottom of the league is ten places further down the actual league? Yeah, it's essentially a top it's essentially the middle of the second division. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and obviously, therefore, it's not that surprising. Um, no, I mean, the Brazilian, the Brazilian league is is more affluent, but mm. it's difficult when you look at international competition to suggest that Brazilian teams are much better. Yeah. Well, particularly at the continental mm. club level, um, in which Argentina. Even exactly. before Rivers too, when there was San Lorenzo so, on the Libertadores, Lanús won the Sudamericana. Mexico is a difficult, what, difficult one to to compare because although this year you can say yeah, okay, compare directly because Tigres got to the final, but yes, but they are economically powerful, but not well. Tigres perhaps show the uh, a, a path which is to sign South American players. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Guadalajara Chivas doesn't do that, but uh, shows the te- the temperamental players that are. Uh, good for competitions and, and, and they fight strongly uh, but they are money and not, no, they are not competitive when they have to go abroad yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean I, I might be biased but I would say the Primera is potentially the best in the Americas in the world in the Americas in the Americas ok and therefore I don't know how that Some, translates somewhere in the top 10 globally I mean you'd have to if we're going to take a probably what's very a Euro slash America centric view and say that the top ten in the world are probably in the in the Americas and Europe, I suppose the but Primera. I think the, the problem there is not that Argentina. Argentina I, mean, I, I never watch, for instance, the Korean League or the J League or no. the South African First Division or, or the Australian Premier League or whatever. But if you go so to say, Peru, Paraguay. Uh, it's, Bolivia, better, it's definitely better than those. We're almost <laughs> although we never watch any of them. Yeah, either, but Ecuador, uh, perhaps Liga de Quito is good, MLX is good, and, they, and, they, and this is it. Uh, uh, then you have Brazil, a lot of money, but uh, have been showing last two years that com- continental competitions, well, they are not putting perhaps all the efforts. Uh, and then, well, yes, if you take into account the other South American leagues, Argentina is clearly the best because. They are because they are dreadful, not because Argentina is. Oh wow, Argentina! Mm. They they are. We are talking about the injuries and barabras a lot, and, and and less about football. Yeah, uh, if you want to send us in a um, a few more 
parameters in which to discuss this for next week, then please feel free. Uh, he also says congratulations, so thank you very much. Uh, JB Boxing Promotions says, you keep mentioning this cop-out of not playing hard because of the FIFA Club World Cup with San Lorenzo last year. Is this an Argentine thing? They're paid professionals, and to be overly concerned with a game that's four to six months away and which you, you are unlikely to win anyway is odd to me. I would say, <laughs> right. First of all, we've mentioned it a few times in the last week, but we have also mentioned the fact that River are making it clear that their priority is to defend the Copa, uh, the Copa Sudamericana now. And as I mentioned, in fact, earlier in this episode, I think that River's priority might have been slightly different if they hadn't had that post-Libertadores final slump. I think it's entirely natural um, that a South American side, I don't think it's just Argentine sides, um, that a South American side are going to concentrate on the Club World Cup, are going to put everything into it. It's not at all unusual in, in years past when Brazilian sides have won the Libertadores for them to have a massive slump in the second half of the Brazilian campaign ahead of the Club World Cup, or indeed the Intercontinental Cup final, as it used to be. Um, I remember I moved out here in April 2010, and when I flew back home for Christmas in 2010, back to, to the UK, uh, I was on a plane which stopped. It flew Buenos Aires to Sao Paulo, and it stopped in Sao Paulo and then went on to London. And in Sao Paulo, absolutely loads of Internacional fans got on, on their way to the Club World Cup, because the connecting flight was obviously from internally to Sao Paulo, and then from Sao Paulo to London, and then from London down to uh, wherever it was. I think it might have been played in, somewhere in the Middle East at that point. can't remember. Um, and they were all having a fantastic time. I mean, it, it is something, essentially the question boils down to, is this an Argentine thing? It's a South American thing. It's, it, it's a much bigger competition in South America than it is in Europe. And I kind of sympathise with, with, with what JB says. Um, they're, they're, it's his second tweet. They're paid professionals and they shouldn't be so concerned with the Club World Cup. I kind of agree with that in a way. But at the same time, ultimately, they are concerned with their Club World Cup. And, and also, you can't blame the players for this when... The, it's one thing saying they're paid professionals, but the other thing is the people who are paying their wages are also saying, don't get yourself injured for the Club World Cup. Play in the Club World Cup because that's the main priority rather than the league. So it's easy for us as Europeans, in mine and Peter's case, as a North American in, in, in JB's case, to look at it and say, well, the Club World Cup doesn't really mean anything. The league is more prestigious. Andres, you're Argentine. Is the league more prestigious than the Club World Cup? Especially for River, who've won 30 six league titles and one club world there is, yeah, there is you a, rather win? There's a slight, slight uh, funnily uh, difference uh, between the league and the, and the Club World Cup. Rio will play four days in the Club World Cup from 16th of December to, to the 20th if they arrive to the final. Well, and if they arrive to the final, uh, if they lose the semi-finals, I think they will play anyway the third mm. place uh, uh, match. And the tournament is all the years or six months, which is harder in terms of time, and gives you the possibility to play the Copa Libertadores, which gives you the possibility to play the Club World Cup. But the other thing is but that we're getting to the point now where the Club World Cup is, is two and a half months away. But and if a player picks up a not even a you know a leg breaker, but if they strain a ligament, there could be a serious doubt for playing one of the biggest matches in their club's history. And so to that extent, you can sort of understand why yes. maybe Leonel Mangioni isn't going to go in too hard. In a Barcelona, Messi, Barcelona Messi, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Of course, it's full of, of, of content and power and, and, and energy. And, and all the world looking at you playing against them, against them which are the 
or were the most uh, the, the the best team in the history in history for a lot of people. Uh, it's it's I understand that point of view. Oh, we will play Barcelona uh, and that because you play perhaps only once in your in your life with against an European man, uh, play uh, team, not only Barcelona. Because to to get to to win uh, Copa Libertadores is so hard that River hasn't won it for 19 years. That winning, winning it now, winning it now means having that opportunity that perhaps you won't have any, any, any more. And okay. for Real Madrid, Barcelona, it is another another tournament from from a lot of other important tournaments, not the only yeah. one. Indeed. Uh, Tom Robinson raises an imaginary for next to us for reaching 200 episodes. Thank you very much, Tom. Uh, Phil Carney says, what are your RG Ball highlights on and off the pitch over the course of Hand of Pod? That's getting on for five years. I would say one of the highlights off the pitch has got to be Ricardo Caruso Lombardi having a fist fight with his former um, assistant manager outside the, I think it was the Tay um, yes. television offices. Um, on the pitch... Talking entirely as a neutral and not taking my river hat off, it has to be River getting relegated because that was you know the biggest story of Hand of Pods, um, almost five year history, um, and also from Hand of Pods' point of view, I guess getting Tim Vickery on in episode twenty seven prior to the Copa Argentina uh, in the studio, studio being somebody's living room, um, was was a, a personal highlight. No offense to you two, obviously, but and indeed no offense to, to anybody who's appeared on the bloody hell hundred and. 67 is it yeah no 180 no. The, the problem, 160 173 problem with, episodes since problem with guys like Peter and me is that we well I, I come almost all the, every episode I come by one episode and then for 20 episodes I can't come here I come anymore you say oh well we miss Andres and that perhaps yes. yeah no on. indeed we've, we've never <laughs> said that we missed him in fairness um there's then a very uh, long and, and confusing uh, exchange between essentially the, the two dams. Um, Tom Robinson also says, I was wondering what your thoughts are on whether Augusto Fernandez and Lisandro Lopez, I assume he means the defender, are due for an international recall. I haven't seen either of them, yeah. to be perfectly honest. So we have no opinions on Peter. Because they won't, say, they won't, they defeated Barcelona for one. They yeah, are Augusto is. Augusto Fernandez is at Southampton. Yeah, and he's apparently in great form. So oh, right, that's why he's asked it. Yeah, so potentially. If they yeah. play every match like that, then yeah. yes, definitely. If they don't, then possibly not. Um, but yeah, and then as I said, there's a bit of a confusing exchange, which I'm trying to skip through. <laughs> oh, right, and Phil has actually called my highlight. He says, I'm assuming that honourable mentions will go to Caruso trying to fight that guy in the street, and also to Tail pulling a gun on, a, on an opponent mm-hmm. after an Avesionado Classico, which we forgot about, but that is a highlight, yes. I think actually my highlight would probably be uh, it being here when, when uh, the Argentina victory over Holland on penalties. Yeah, that was good fun. Yeah. Particularly yeah. the fact that it happened on Argentine Independence Day, the day after the 7-1 that Brazil suffered. Yeah. I, mean, uh, I remember going out... People you know, going to celebrate the Obelisco anyway. The previous yeah, year. I went to the Obelisco because yes. I live quite close and it was great. It was like, yeah, <laughs> we are, we are runners-up, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, asks, what is the biggest shock result in Argentine football of recent times? I will say Atlanta or Boca Unidos beating River 1-0 when they played in the Bay. Well, goodbye. <laughs> in a way, I almost think it's the 
Belgrano first leg win against River because there was so much talk in the previous week to that match about how oh it's you know the referee ultimately is going to help River out here there's no way River actually going to be allowed to be relegated and all the rest of it even though River were playing poorly and Belgrano were on a high um, I think that feels like the biggest shock in many ways and I remember recording after River got relegated in fact the, the episode that I mentioned a minute ago with Tim Vickery on it uh, in which uh, Seba was also on and, and, and said that he was just in complete shock as a Racing fan who just never thought that he was going to see River relegated. That's probably by default. Yes, could be. Unexpected uh, event, but uh, I will put on T-shirt, River play T-shirt and say uh, two vocal eliminations in six months. Mm. That's <laughs> great. I have to do that. It's a perfect re- repast, I think. And on that note, the next music that you hear is Mystic Sam's theme music, and the next voice that you hear is Mystic Sam telling you what to bet your pocket money on this coming weekend for the 200th time. Only it's not anything like the 200th time, because we started it something like 40 episodes in, and it wasn't me to do it, first of all. But anyway, here we go. Okay, 15 matches this weekend in the Primera and they're going to go as follows. Olimpo are going to beat Godoy Cruz in Bahia Blanca. Union are going to beat Atletico de Rafaela in Rafaela. Colón against Belgrano is going to be a draw. Racing against Argentinos Juniors I think is a Racing win almost certainly because Argentinos are in very poor form at the moment and Racing are in magnificent form. Crucero del Norte, apart from the defeat to Independiente two weeks ago, but that, I think that's the only match they've lost in something like 13 games. Uh, Crucero del Norte against River Plate reserves is all the same, surely going to be a River Plate reserves win. Uh, Tigre against San Lorenzo, I'm going for a San Lorenzo victory. Aldo Civi away to Nueva Chicago, I think is an Aldo Civi victory. Uh, Boca Juniors against Banfield. I'm going to stick my neck out and say a draw. If I'm right about all these results so far, that would leave Boca and San Lorenzo joint top of the table. Uh, Defensa Justicia versus Quilmes is a Quilmes win. Uh, the reason that you can hear some sniggering in the background is that one of Olympia's players has just fallen into the concrete dugout in Avellaneda, away to Independiente, in very painful but slightly hilarious fashion. Um, <clears throat> Rosario Central against Gimnasia La Plata, I think, is a Rosario Central victory. Lanús against Independiente is an Independiente win. Huracán against Vélez is a draw. Uh, San Martín against Sarmiento is also a draw. Tempele versus Arsenal de Sarandí is a low-scoring draw. I'd be almost surprised if there were any goals scored at all in that one. And Estudiante de La Plata at home to Newell's Old Boys on Monday night should be an Estudiantes win. Any arguments with those gents? I uh, saw so Peter some disgusting. <laughs> Peter, no. your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would very much like to agree with your prediction. I'm slightly less confident with Independiente's trip to Lanús after okay. this. There are going to be Independiente fans at this match. Yeah, yeah, that's play tomorrow. Oh, actually, yeah, 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 that means three days. No, that's true. And in fact, I've just remembered, sorry, we have had a question 
um, about this, and it, no, sorry, it wasn't about that at all, but I just remember we had an email question because I get a lot of my predictions from my email, uh, which is from David Ellingham. He says, in last week's podcast, we mentioned that during the dictatorship, it was possible for players to be left out due to their political beliefs. Do we know of any examples when this happened? I think that David possibly slightly misunderstood me. Uh, we were asked about a player last week. I can't remember his name. Chaselli. Thank you, yeah, Chasalde. Um And I made the comment that perhaps he played a large part of his career outside Argentina uh, because of the, the politics. I didn't really mean that he'd been forced to play outside Argentina by the dictatorship. I meant more that maybe, because the dates almost lined up, maybe he'd left Argentina because he disagreed with them. And then I sort of said, oh no, so it's not that, because he came back in, I can't remember what year, in 18 or something yes. like that. Um, I don't know of any examples of a player being left out of the national side for their political yeah. beliefs. I suspect they'd be more likely to have been dropped into the Southern Atlantic if they were playing in Argentina. Uh, do we? I mean, in terms of political stuff during the dictatorship era that's, that happened, I suppose the closest would be uh, Ozzy Ardiles having to, or feeling he had to go and play in France on loan from Spurs for a year during the yeah, well, Falcons tour. But ultimately, I, don't, I, I, I can't. Let, I, I think it's just um, that I perhaps didn't explain myself too well last week, David. Um, but he also says, do we know how Defensa y Justicia got their name? We do. I do. I think I do, because I'm pretty sure Seb has mentioned it in a previous pod. I'm going to Google them just in case, uh, in case I've misremembered this. But I'm pretty sure that they took their name. They certainly took their colours from a local bus company, um, which is why for a while we, re- we referred to them as the bus company team, before Crucero del Norte came up to the Primera, who were the actual bus company team. Um, the name translates obviously as defence and justice um, and the Wikipedia says no actually it doesn't mention it at all uh, so the, the, the short answer is no we don't but if you ask again next week I will hope to be able to uh, check my Alejandro Fabri book on the history of all of the, the clubs I'm sorry for not doing so already um, and I can't cut this short and go through to my bedroom and, and or we can right read now. him and, and, and ask him because he's for, for a podcast and we, we oh that's true yeah he, he does respond on Twitter actually as well I wonder if he speaks English maybe I should try and get him on at some point I'd love that but um, we're talking about Alejandro Fabri by the way not about David um, no offence David um, uh, but yeah next week I'll try and I'll try and check it out Uh, a little further in advance and I apologise I would do so now except that we've already run enormously over as all of you have no doubt noticed because you've been listening to us if you've got to this point for about the last hour and a half now Um, so it's time to say goodbye I'm afraid thank you very much for all of you Um, dear listeners I love you all for listening for 200 episodes if indeed you have been Um, thank you to the Argentina Independent for supporting us for the last 30 now I think it is, or 29 um, a fine source of English language news, current affairs photographic essays historical pieces and all the rest of it from Argentina and across Latin America who you can read free of charge on argentinaindependent.com or follow on Twitter at Argentina Indie, that's Argentina I-N-D-Y we thank them for their support um, I would also like to extend an enormous thanks to, well first of all to the the two gentlemen who are sitting just to my right, to Andres and to Peter, um, uh, for for being uh, the most frequent contributors over the last year or two, couple of years, I'm going to say, probably. Um, also, if they're listening, which I'm almost certain they're not, 
to English Dan and Australian Dan, um, without whom the podcast would never have even got to episode one, never mind episode 200. Um, we, we love both of you very deeply from the bottom of our loins as well um, as, uh, as, as all the rest of it. And thank you to the listeners for supporting us and to everybody else who has ever contributed to Hand of Pod in any way. I'm not going to get too soppy, but uh, 200 episodes is something that I'm possibly slightly more proud of than I, strictly speaking, should be. Uh, on Friday, as we've already mentioned, we're meeting up for a steak and we're going to have a wonderful time as well. But for now, it is goodbye and thank you very much from Peter. Goodbye. Goodbye for Andres. Goodbye, thank you, and see you in the episode 201. Because yes. this, this could goes on, of course. That at least is almost certain. Episode 300 or 400, we're not sure about, but 201, pretty sure we'll get, we'll get to that master. Um, and goodbye and thank you from me. Goodbye. much much later now and now that various games are finished I may as well tell you how they finished uh, this evening so that we're not too out of date on this episode um, in the Copa Argentina tonight's two quarterfinals both ended in 2-1 wins Rosario Central beat Estudiantes de la Plata and Boca Juniors beat Defensa y Justicia by that scoreline which means that in the semis uh, it will be Racing against Rosario Central and Boca Juniors against Lanús we don't know the dates for those ones yet and in the Copa Sudamericana last 16 ties River got a 2-0 win over Liga de Quito at a canter um, really Independiente beat Olimpia of Paraguay 1-0 and Huracan were somewhat fortunate to get a 1-1 draw away to Sport Recife of Brazil uh, thank you very much for listening for another week and join us again for episode 201